0: Welcome back to yet another episode of behind the lens i'm debbie elias film critic creator and host of behind the lens where we go behind the lens below the line with the movers and shakers and filmmakers uh bringing you some of the best that there is on television and in television and on the on i can't talk this morning and on the big screen um I've been doing so many interviews this week uh, over the past couple weeks, as a matter of fact, including one yesterday that uh, I'm embargoed until next Monday to uh, give details on. I can tell you that it was with the VFX supervisor for Avengers Endgame. Uh, so that is is an incredible, incredible experience talking to him and getting uh, inside details on VFX. So that'll be coming out sometime next week. But you can find those interviews and reviews, twenty-four-seven uh, in print and online in the U.S. and abroad, and of course, always uh, as stuff gets posted up on behindthelensonline.net. Uh, plus, we'll be—I'll be adding some actual, some audio interviews with a slideshow format to our YouTube channel. But every Monday, I am right here. 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on AdrenalineRadio.com. And if you're listening to us right now, you can actually, if you go to the AdrenalineRadio.com Facebook page, there is a live stream. There's nothing fascinating. I have no in-studio guests today. It's just me. But you can see all the cool Marvel swag. Thank you very much, Disney and Marvel, for Captain Marvel, for A Black Widow, Thor, Iron Man, Captain America, and one of our new Marvel favorites, Goose. Um, But I'm very excited about today's show. You've heard me tease it. You've seen me teasing it on social media for a couple weeks. The fabulous, my dear friend, and fabulous filmmaker Dion Taylor is joining us. Oh, Dion is actually joining us now. Well... Let's, let's not waste any time talking about Avengers Endgame $2.2 billion after 11 days. I hope next week I can tell you it was 3000000000 billion. I'm going to bring this fabulous man on live right now. My friend, Dion. Hey. Hey, you. How are you?
1: How you doing? How you doing?
0: Well, I'm talking to you, so you know I'm happy as can be. I am so glad to have you on the show again.
1: I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me on the show.
0: Oh, you know, you've got an open invitation 365 days a year. If if I had my way and you weren't busy making films, I have to... Uh
1: Uh-oh, don't get in trouble. Don't (laughs) get in trouble on this show.
0: Hey, it's my show. So, (laughs) I have to congratulate you. Number one, new opener this weekend. Number two film at the box office right behind Avengers Endgame. How does that feel with The Intruder, number two behind Avengers?
1: I'm I'm blown away. I've been blown away since yesterday, (laughs) just watching it, just watching the film work and watching it track, and um, it's just a blessing for every independent filmmaker out there with a dream. Um, This has been fabulous.
0: People are loving this film, Dion. They are loving it. I've spoken with a few people that have gone in groups to see it. And it is, this is very much a film that um, w- you see it with a crowd. Because the crowd is going to respond. This is the kind of film you can yell at the screen. You can it's like, no, 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 don't go in there. Look behind you, look behind you. It really calls out for audience participation, and that's not something that we experience that often.
1: No, you're right. It's um, it's more of a throwback film to, you know, those original '90s, you know, thrillers where, you know, the hand that rocks the cradle, um, you know, um, um uh, uh, attraction, sleeping with the enemy. You know, it's just a fun you know, interactive experience. And, um, and when you make one of those types of films and you add Dennis Quaid to the equation, you know, giving you that level of performance, it's it's insane.
0: Well, Dennis Quaid, as, as I've said, he is insanely brilliant in this film as Charlie yes. Peck. And I got to tell you, when Dennis, when he, he called me to do our interview the other week, he saved me till the end of his day so that nobody would be interrupting us and and making us terminate the interview early and he called me mm. on his driving home from his last in, from the last interview he had done and he had me on yeah. the phone he's going through the drive through getting a late lunch telling me about going golfing afterwards i mean we talked about jack um it was and i always love Dennis and i've known each other so many years so it's always so so fun uh, to talk to him wow but he raved about you. And what's, what's this? I hear the two of you are trying to find a project, another project to do together.
1: Yes, very much so. Um, I just think, I just think Dennis is iconic in so many ways. And, um, sometimes when you find someone and you just love working with them in this industry, you know, the next step is just do it again.
2: <laughs> you yeah. Know
1: what I mean, just do it again. And, um, I was just blessed enough to um, have been able to meet him and for him to say yes to me um, as an indie filmmaker, you know, for him to come and do my movie was really, really special.
0: Well, you know, you've, you've had a lot of, ver- of you know, veteran, quote unquote, A-list stars do your films, Dion. I mean, just think about when you stepped out of, when you jumped from horror after you did Chain Letter and after Night Tales and you jumped into supremacy. You get Danny Glover to star in the film. Come on.
1: Yes, yes, yes. He was incredible. That was that was another surreal moment. Sort of like a lot like Dennis Quaid, you know, speaking to someone that iconic and and, and telling them what the vision was, and for them to be like, "Yeah, I'm gonna come do the film." I mean, it never gets old. <laughs> It never gets oh, you're always like you gotta be kidding me when you meet these people and you know, you say action.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, Dennis does refer to you as Mr. Excitement.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Dean Quaid. I love him, man. Yes. I, I don't think I don't think Dennis I don't think Dennis is ever met anyone like me i think i think he's fascinated by me
0: <laughs> but he, to yeah. him the two of you were on yeah. the same page you the two of you were on the yeah. same page so but yeah he yeah, we on the same page
1: he,
0: yeah he refers to you as mr excitement and excitement is I, I mean and i you know i've heard this from other actors that you've directed before mike epps talked about this uh when i talked to him about meet the blacks Michael Ely, who's in The Intruder, Michael and I talked about this. You're high energy. You're running 90 miles a minute. Your mind is always working. And you know what it is you want when you're on set. And that's something that all of these actors really appreciate from you, Dion. And I think it still amazes people because you are a self-taught filmmaker.
1: Yeah, 100%. Um... Yeah, I think when you when you have the background that I have, where you're coming from a world where you have taught yourself, but at the same time, if you're financing your own movies, you truly understand time is of the essence, mm-hmm. um, and you can't get. I don't. I think to date, I've never had one day where I've ever been able to do a pickup sh- uh, shoot, um, and and that you you build yourself into a. a almost like a machine where you're like, okay, get on set. I know I have to be completely on, on that day to get what I need to get. I know I have to shoot my pages. I know I need to get performances. So I approach film almost like sports where you're, you're zoned out. You know what I mean? You get yourself into a zone and you approach that, you know, that day on, on set like that, like a basketball game. Mm -hmm. You're like, let's go. Here we go. We have to all play. We have to all make our shots (laughs) We gotta, we gotta play defense. You know, fourth quarter is almost over. I, I, I just love it that way, and I think a lot of times, actors, especially really big actors who have been on these giant films that cost a lot of money, where they're waiting to shoot. When they shoot, there's no pressure to get anything done. I think they really get a joke out of me, because I'm like, mm-hmm. we gotta do it.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm you keep it going you keep it moving and i think that's that's important because you don't lose the actor's energy they don't have you know they don't decompress no. and and they don't they're hyped up and they're ready to go from one scene to the next you know unless obviously you're going from a really dramatic crying heart-wrenching moment and then trying to jump into a comedic uh, you know tone the next second you might need a little respite in there but for the most part I think that that's something that everybody embraces because it keeps the momentum, it keeps your adrenaline active, and keeps you up.
1: Yeah, and that's and that's part of film. I think that's the beautiful part of movie making is that you get to push your creative envelope, you know, as far as it can go. I think, you know, when you have an actor, and you have a director, and you have a script, you know, the idea that Everyone gets to play a role and, and be creative and try different things and fail, then try a different way, and that's what I really love about movies. You know, I I don't think I could ever make a movie where every day it's just boring and line by line, it's like you have to say exactly these lines.
2: <laughs> and you know what I mean?
1: I think like play with the character, have fun, and because most of these films are made in the editing room. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you could have you could have the most brilliant screenplay, the most brilliant performances. You could have a great director, and you go in the editing room, it all it didn't work. Yeah, You know, so sometimes what I like to do is I like to play with the lines, play with the performances. So I have different shots in the editing room. You know, oh, man, that didn't really come across like I thought it should. Oh man, those lines didn't really work like like they read on the screenplay, but we tried these three other ways. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden now you have you have choices. And I think when you have choices in the editing room, you 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 have a better shot of winning.
0: Okay, do I even bring up the choices that you made at the opening of The Intruder? Your editing choices that you know I have a problem with? I know you had a problem, but here's the thing. I told you. I know. You're and the only person
1: work, You're the only person in the world that knows that. We didn't have any money, Debbie. I know. So I had to open the... <laughs> we, we don't have any money, so, so I had to go to an opening shot with the drone to, to, to bring the audience into the film.
0: And the thing is, the tra- and, your, the traveling shot, the winding roads and everything, the drone, the aerial shot, it is beautiful, and it really, really works metaphorically. It really does. Um, You know, once you've got that and we see our two leads, when we see Michael Ely and Megan Good as as Scott and Annie, as they're driving out to meet Dennis Quaid's Charlie Peck for the first time and look at his house to buy, you really get that as the film unfolds. You can flash back to that metaphor of the winding, the twists and turns of the road that you have them on because you didn't pick a straight freeway to have them driving on. So that works oh. really well to the story as we see it unfold with what happens and the twists and turns that this story takes. And you've got a lot of twists and turns in here, my friend. Uh, I, David's I mean David's script is wonderful, absolutely wonderful.
1: Yeah he wrote, he wrote a brilliant screenplay. And to 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 David's credit, you know we we bumped heads a lot of times on a screenplay the first couple of weeks, um, you know because I'm looking at a film from a <clears throat> African American perspective, and you know obviously him being a white male, a lot of times we had different ideas on how things should be delivered and done, and um, I would just tell you, man. You know, after really sitting down, like we found a chemistry together that I really, really loved. Um, you know, he was very open to, you know, kind of like my renegade directing, where I'm like, you know, sometimes I get into the into the story so much and into the characters, to where, you know, I allow the the, the, the talent to play with words and play with things. And, you know, for a writer, that's very hard to deal with. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think once he discovered like we were making things even sexier, even cooler, I think he really loved the idea of it. And his screenplay is brilliant. I mean, all the trappings, all the different things that's happening, the guy keeps popping up. You know, you're like, what is the hell is this movie? And, um, it's so fun to watch the film now with an audience. They're like, oh, my God, here he comes again. You know what I mean? And then he just, and then Dennis delivers, man. He just keeps oh. getting creepier and creepier and scarier and scarier. And ultimately, he just, he delivers that performance the last 20 minutes of the film, which I think is just absolutely
0: brilliant. That third act of the film, Dion, is off the rails. It is. Yes. It <laughs> is. That's that's the only, it is off the rails, You've got Michael and Dennis, actually in you know doing this. It's hand to hand combat. Um, you know battling each other, while Dennis is still he's gone. He's totally maniacal. Forget about Jack Nicholson <laughs> in The Shining. Dennis Quaid is more maniacal than Jack Nicholson was in The Shining. So I agree with that. Yeah, he it's it's no holds barred, and it is off the rails, and it moves so fast and i gotta say melissa kent and melissa did your editing and that is so tightly shot to- so tightly cut that fa- yes. that third act that you are yes. on tenor hooks you're on the edge of your seat gripping the seat the the arms of the seat or digging your fingernails into whoever is next to you
1: <laughs> yes that's true you're so true as the, yeah it's like what the hell is happening
0: I mean, that just, and you do a slow burn. The second act, you really do a slow burn with your construction and your pacing, yeah. and I really like it, but this is, re- this is where, that second act is really where it, your cinematography, Daniel Pearl's cinematography comes into play so heavily at building that slow burn, and that's something you did really, really well on Traffic, with Dante Spinotti as your, as, your, as your cinematographer, and you do it again yeah. here with Daniel. And cinematography is extremely key in your films. It was in Supremacy in particular. Your kitchen sequences in there are just out of this world. Um, yeah. and, and then in Traffic, with what... Dante and you were doing, especially with your night shoots, you and your night shoots, got to have night shoots. There will never be a a Deion Taylor film without (laughs) night shoots. That's so funny. That
1: is so funny.
0: But it adds so much to the stories that you're telling. But you have to be able to lens that properly so you get the right emotional beat and the right effect to the story point. And you do that again here, and in large part due to you've got this beautiful location uh, that that stands for foxglove, which is uh, the the manor and property that Dennis's character Charlie Peck is reluctantly selling to uh, to Annie and Scott. And uh, it's uh, the backyard, wooded area. You got a creek. It it speaks to. You want something black and inky, that inky black darkness and a single flashlight trying to find what you're hearing and who is out there rustling in the, in the tree leaves. That's right. And you have to be able to lens that properly. And you've got to do it at night. A day for night yeah, just, sure. I think that makes all the difference in the world. And you do shoot night for night whenever you can. Yeah, those are, those are tough.
1: Those are, those are very tough seems to shoot um, but you have to because if you really want the fans to be a part of that world you have to put them in the real world um, and there's no substitute for it so I mean I've been really really blessed to have Daniel Pearl and Dante in my world I mean you're talking about two of the arguably two of the best yeah um, ever light up scenes you know what I mean? And, um, I think Daniel Pearl, this, this is his house. You know, we dropped him into this movie. Um, you know, there was a few firsts for him in the movie. You know, I think this was the first time he's ever had a black cast,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, in a horror film or a thriller film. And, um, there were some things that I really asked him to do with me in terms of like, you know, the lovemaking scenes. I really wanted those to be very beautifully shot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, lighting Michael Ely and Maggie the opposite, you know, Dennis Quaid. Um, I just think it found. I think the Intruder. If you if you go see the movie for any, you know, if you don't want to see it for any reason, I think it's an important movie to see cinematically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, through through colors and light. I mean, I think Daniel Pearl did an amazing job about this movie. If you really pay attention you watch the color drop out the film to yeah. the end of the movie. Yep. Like the last act of the film, everything's gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It starts out beautiful with this party and this beautiful Audi racing through the streets. You know, it's very well lit when you get to the house. The wood is brown. The You know, the yellows are yellow. And, and, and we begin to just desaturate. Mm-hmm. And... um one of the biggest scenes in the film that I fell in love with, and I was a little nervous when we did it, but I said, damn, okay, I guess we're just going to be stuck with it. We actually liked the, the whole last act of the movie with the chandelier. Uh, and then at the end of the film, um, the lights are blinking on and off. Well, that's mm-hmm. done practically in the film. So in the movie, as you see those lights static in on and off, that was a decision on set to do that and, and the movie is locked that way. There was no other way to come out of that. So how we got into the editing band said, Oh, we don't like this, there was no way to change <laughs> it And um those are I mean, I think those are like independent decisions that you make that make independent filmmaking really, really cool.
0: Mhm. Well, and that's and the chandelier, you know, blinking on and off as powers you know, the power is getting cut and it's really It's fabulous. But I love the fact and you're right that when by the time we get by the time Annie and Scott get to Foxglove and they've moved in and they redecorate. And instead of all these dark woods and uh, these uh, these the the wool tapestries that are hanging on the walls that are so intricately done with uh, reds and yellows they do a whole different decor. The film it, it opens up more. We've got more white on white. Like the kitchen is, is, is gorgeous. I want the kitchen, but a lo- you got to give credit here to your production designer, Andrew Nescaromny, who just knocks it out of the park with designing for Charlie Peck living in the house, designing for Scott and Annie living in the house. And, it's once they move in, that's when your desaturation in, on every level starts to happen. And it's so well orchestrated. And that's a testament to you and Daniel and Andrew working in tandem. Because if if one of those, ele- if one of those three elements fails, that whole effect for the second half of the film is going to fail.
1: Yeah, and that's why I say that film is a, film is a gumbo. And um if you know I don't know how other filmmakers work, I just know how I work, everyone is invested in the movie. Everyone's excited about what they're doing because everybody's work is going to be seen. And um, that's one of the many reasons why I encourage or buy film sets, I really encourage everyone to be like, just be the best they can be. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not yelling. I don't scream. I love ideas. I love people to sit me down and tell me what they think, why things are good, why they're not. If I make a decision, I want you to tell me like, what, what your thought is about that. You know, and obviously sometimes if if I feel a certain way, I'm like, no, that's what it is. But just welcoming people to be creative is you, you get so much further. I think in movies, especially independent movies, uh, where people, you know, they want to give you the best right. um, because you care. And it's not just my way or the highway. And, um, yeah, you're right, Andrew, Daniel, I mean, all of it, the, the house. The, I mean, it's just I love the film. I've probably seen the movie 30 times. And um, I'll tell you one thing, I'm going to be buying out a couple more theaters this week. I'm going to be watching it again <laughs> two <laughs> or three more times this week, man. We're going to be on, we on the ride over here.
0: Well, you got to stop buying out theaters. You're cutting into your own profits. Isn't isn't Roxanne slapping your hand and saying, "Put the checkbook away"?
1: Yeah, but I don't care. Oh, <laughs> this is like this is man. We're so excited about this damn movie. I'm I'm telling you, man. Like I'm just sitting here because one of the the most one of the most epic moments for us when no matter if you see the advertising that Sony did, which I really love what they did, or not you're talking about a movie on 2,200 screens Yep. that's opening against the world's biggest movie of all time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then on top of that, there are four other films in the box office all same weekend with a thousand to 1,500 more screens. Yep. Okay. And, and for us, and oh by the way a-list actors <clears throat> giant directors you know mm-hmm. all those wonderful things 50 million dollars in P&A take one film that's 75 million dollars in P&A and for your independent movie to open number 1 on that weekend yep there's no words for that you know what I mean and and I tell I say this a lot and I'm going to say it to you because I really love you and I love what we talk about all the time Man, sometimes when God, like, blesses you, there's nothing that can stop it. You know yeah. what I mean? And this movie to me was, you know, we toured all around the country promoting the movie. We, I have got on every stage I could get on and pitch the movie and, you know, and to see it be in this position, you know, and it's good. And people love it. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? It's not, like, it's, not like we trick, it's not like we trick the audience. No, like people are going and they're like, "Yo, I really, really like this," mm-hmm. and uh, it's just special. So that means what that equals is me buying out theaters
0: and watching the movie with a whole bunch of people for free. <laughs> 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 because but, I'm like, we got it, we all enjoy this. But you know what you do, Dion? That your movies have appeal, and it's not just it's not urban appeal. It's appeal because what you do is you showcase the power of family. Love, an inherent will to survive, and relying on the, the power of family and love is what propels that third element. We saw this in supremacy, which is based on a true story. We saw it in spades in traffic, and even in Meet the Blacks. It's a family sticking together to survive the purge night in this neighborhood. Um, you really tap into that. And it's something you have consistently. Even as you go back to one of your very early films, Chain Letter. You know, you've got, it's a horror film. You've got a maniac, a serial killer. He's killing teens. But it's about sticking together and overcoming and friendship. You always tap into this. Do you, and I know, now you wrote Traffic and you wrote Meet the Blacks. Now, The Intruder, written by David Lowry. Uh, Supremacy was written by Eric Adams, so I'm curious. Do you look for this when a script comes your way, such as with The Intruder? Do you look for those elements, and when you sit down to write, do you consciously include those elements in in the script? Um,
1: I think I what I think every I think every Screenplay that I get. This is where the writer has to be flexible with me, um, because this is what I go do to their screenplay. <laughs> you know, I I I I love the story, and then what I try to do is adjust the storyline to fit what my brain is doing. Which is I love I love families fighting through adversity. I love people conquering something.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: I love storylines where it's grounded in realism. Um, one of the biggest things about David Lowry's script was some of the stuff when it was originally written, it took me to go, D, I know this is great for a thriller, but we want to pull it back a little bit so it's grounded in reality more.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know what I mean? So, like, that final straw when Dennis Quaid is inside the house and Megan comes in with the groceries. Like, that that could not happen earlier in the screenplay right it used to be a little earlier and i said man once that happens all bets are off
0: that's that's exactly right
1: you know so so little things like that um i bring to the screenplay as a director you know my weakest my weakest contribution to film is writing i'm not a very good writer uh but i'm a really really strong storyteller so oftentimes i find myself writing get on set but then once i'm on set is where i do what i do Mm -hmm. um so when i take when i take screenplays that are written really well i fall in love with them because they are done well but then i always try to add that relationship that that adversity that flawed characters i try to add that to everything i do because i think it's a reflection on who we are as people you know Mm -hmm. and um I love this question because it's also one of the main reasons why I jump genres. I don't, you know, I think I'm probably the only African American filmmaker out here that's had some success in all three genres, um, independently. Yeah. Um, from comedy to direct horror, to thrillers, to dramas. Um, I just love the same thematic themes. So I think they could apply to everything. And, um, You know, for me, I I love jumping the genres, you know, writing as well, because I've lived through all of those things. So I've had pain and hurt and sorrow, so it allows you to do drama. Um, I am a real money guy. I love laughing because sometimes you have to laugh. (laughs) So I fell in love with comedy. And then uh, I'm always loving horror films, you know what I mean? So I think... It's interesting, man. I think it's like a changing of the garden in Hollywood in terms of how filmmakers are perceived and what they're doing now in terms of you can only make this type of movie or write this type of thing or do that kind of kind of genre. Um, I think I'm one of the first to be like, nah, I don't know how to do that. I think you can, you can apply your to any genre you want.:
0: I mean, if you can tell a story, a story is a story is a story. Then it comes down to how are you going to interpret that story, and if you can interpret a story, you should be able to bat, to cross genres. You should not be pigeonholed into just one. That's right. You know, and you're and you're very good at jumping and also cross blending. You know, I'm really curious, Dion, when you first got the script for The Intruder, and you decided, yeah, okay, I'm going to direct this. How do you did you as a director begin your visual approach and construct for telling this story? Did it start with location? Did it start with casting? Did you start did were you storyboarding things out with Daniel? How did you determine to visually tell this story of the intruder?
1: I believe I start off with a um what I call a, a, a look board. Um, I create a board and on the board I grab pictures and images of all the movies that I love that's similar to this thing. And I create this gigantic board and I just look at it. <laughs> 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 and that's how I start the process. And, okay. Um, I just look at it, and I look at it for a day or two, and I go, man, like, I love this picture. I love that moment in that film. I love this moment, this, this. And all of a sudden, I just begin to shape what I feel like the movie should be like. And um, right after that, I just start, I go.
0: I go. I go full speed. Oh, my God. Now, do do you and Daniel shot list or storyboard anything out? Especially here, and similarly, in supremacy and traffic, you have you have action taking place, very finely choreographed action. Uh, you know, here you've got Dennis and Michael going at each other and going over about a third floor balcony. Um, do you do you do you storyboard this out? Do you shot list it for those moments, or do you just say oh, go with the flow? Yeah,
1: I've never storyboarded anything um this year when i shot the movie um exposure with sony it was the first time i ever storyboarded a film and that was because they told me that sony they didn't want me to come on set and shoot they were like we have to see something that you're gonna do (laughs) (laughs) oh god they like, they said, hey, man, we know you can really do this, but we need you to write down what you're going to do. So oh. I said, right. And I remember like three, like four days into production, you know, I'm doing 60 or 70 setups, and they're like, wait a minute. Not only did you do the storyboard, but you did like two of the things. I'm like, yeah, well, that's what I told you guys. Like, I, I just, to me, the art is about stepping onto the, onto the set, and you feel it that day. You feel mm-hmm. it that day. I mean, I'm, I can't even explain it to you. Like that fight sequence between Michael Ely and Dennis Quaid in the movie, that was literally that day. That's me doing the whole fight by myself and them laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and then me diving around, and then the stunt coordinator coming and putting it over two, three cent, and us performing it. And and I think it's that cool because, you know, obviously if you get to these bigger movies like Fast and Furious and yeah, you got to do all the, you know, you have to do the work. Right. But when you're like in a creative bubble where you're like, man, we're going to do a fight or, you know, this type of sequence and you don't have a lot of money. You don't have a lot of time. You have to, you know, normally I'm doing the entire stunt first and then everyone's like, Oh, okay, that looks that look good. And then, and then we try it. So, yeah, I know you last. Did, did you did you, you throw yeah, yourself all.
0: did you throw yourself over the balcony to demonstrate in this one?
1: Almost, almost, <laughs> almost. I I do it all, Debbie. I mean, I'm like I'm like throwing myself on the ground. I'm choking myself. I'm showing them how he kicked the wall. You know, because I can see it. I'm like, yo, it'd be really dope if you do this. And then and then we actually are able to shoot it. And me and Daniel, everyone's so used to me now, man. Like when we shoot a movie. They're so used to me doing all the stuff and watching. It's so fun, and then they, you know, I'm breathing hard and sweating, and then they do it and they do it obviously better than me. But that's the process for me.
0: Um, have you thought about having somebody film you doing all this and turn that into a movie? I do. I have it on tape. Oh God.
2: <laughs> now,
0: now I think you should start. If you if you, you should... Go,
1: if you go to if you go to my Instagram. Um. I think, like, a week ago, I was posting, like, behind-the-scenes stuff on my Instagram where you could actually see the craziness. Oh, God.
0: You know, you should take that and add it to the DVDs as DVD extras.
1: Yes, you're right about that, so people can think I'm a complete fool.
0: Well, I know you are, but you're a lovable one. You know, so that's okay. That's that's okay. Oh, he's a a complete fool. I thought he was a half fool. No, he's a whole fool. (laughs) You know, something new for you is with The Intruder, the house is a character. You haven't had a setup with your other films where the house becomes your fourth principal character. How difficult was it and how important was it to find the right house to be Foxglove, to be Charlie Peck's beloved home for The Intruder?
1: I didn't realize how important that was until we were looking for the house Um, and visually no house worked. And that's and that's why I said, oh, my God, like this is this is when things like that resonate with me, because I'm so used to rubbing two sticks together to get whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And this was the first time in my career where I was like, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. That's not working. Oh, my God, that doesn't work. The first time I've ever done that. And then that's when I realized, like, man, this is this is important. I'm looking, I'm actually looking for something that is unique and is actually a real character in the movie. And um, a guy that was driving us, he kept hearing me screaming and yelling about what kind of house it is. And I was explaining it for like the ninetieth time to the locations people. And finally, he was like, "Dude, there's a house, but it's on like the haunted house list, and it's called Foxglove." And I was like, "Take me to it!" And we went to it, and we drove down the driveway. That's when I knew, like, as soon as I seen those concrete angels with broken wings, mm-hmm. you know, spitting water, I said, "Oh, this is scary as hell to me." And I knew, I knew right away, like this was gonna be it. And um, we pulled up to the house, and it had all of the um, ivy growing over the trees and of the house itself and it was just different and creepy and scary and when they told me that the house was actually 130 years old that's when I said this is it
2: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, I'll tell you Daniel Pro didn't want to shoot in the house because it was so the, the walkways and the hallways and the stairs and the bedrooms are, are so small Yep. Uh, he was like we could never get in here with the cameras and do the work beyond and I just had to you know, I had to just be like this is what we're shooting at. It's great. And I love the fact that you can see out the house and you can see in the house and it looks really beautiful during the day, but then at night it's like you're in a in a fishbowl.
0: Mhm. And that's where Daniel cinema night that's where this is where night shoots are so important in your films because yes. when you've got Michael, there's an intruder, there's an intruder and he's running out into the yard. And we first get a perspective of looking into the house. It's pitch black. But for all these windows, a whole wall of windows and wrapping around a corner, and you can see everything inside the house.
1: Everything.
0: And, you know, that's what what I so love with what Daniel did and the way he actually framed that. And it wasn't a straight-on camera shot. It was moved off to the side. It wasn't Dutched. It was just askew, a little bit to the left, shooting towards it. And because of the natural rise of, of the landscape and the hill, it on its own was you know up a little bit, and you're really getting a sense, and it was like looking into a fishbowl. But in the daytime, it's beautiful. It's beautiful inside. Sunlight is streaming in, filtered by the trees, the natural light, and it just was a perfect balance. But then, you know, it changes. So those windows is a that's a key element to the character of this house.
1: Yeah, it's incredible.
0: It's incredible, and and it actually
1: has now become the standard of for me as a filmmaker. Because now that I look at the house, you know, I'm now looking at another project to do, and I'm going. You know, I'm just really gonna take a little bit more time in terms of like really nailing down whatever location it is. You know, we shot Fatal with um, Dante Spinotti recently with Hillary Swank and Michael Ealy, and um, because I did that film after The Intruder, I really took my time on that house.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know what I mean? And um, that house is a major character in the film as well. And um, yeah, it's just it's just a testament of constantly growing as a filmmaker. Constantly learning, you know, not acting like you know it all, you know what I mean, but actually being a student of film.
0: Mm-hmm. When do I get to see Fatal? You when? need to
1: see it now. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. I'm dying to see it. it. Dying. I want you to see it. Yeah, we, we don't want to have another editing complaint from me again in a final cut.
1: No, I so- need <laughs> you to see it because I need you to see it because you need to see it. It's a, it's a, it's a risky film. Oh, it's a risky film.
0: But it's why, we're,
1: but it's why we're filmmakers.
0: But you know, this is something that that I find so amazing about you, Dion, is because you know I talk to first-time filmmakers, young filmmakers, veteran filmmakers. After thirty-two years, I've I've hit it all. And a lot of the young filmmakers—they've gone to film school. It's like, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a great director. I'm going to be a filmmaker. But you. You were a basketball player to begin with. Um, You're degreed uh, in in the sciences. And all of a sudden, one day, you just decided you were going to make a film. How do you set about, without any film experience or education in it, how do you go about making starting out to make a film and then to progressively get better? And I know it's not just from doing and doing and doing. I know you've got to be picking brains of uh, some of the craftsmen that you work with because you're very inquisitive. You are Mr. Excitement, but you're also very inquisitive, and you will ask so that you can learn and get better. So I'm just curious how you went about becoming a filmmaker. From basketball to film, that's, you know, come on. There's not there's not a straight line there.
1: Um I think you know, I've been asked this a lot of times and um I think the only answer that I really have is I think that I am um I think I literally was just stupid enough to think I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I think I was just dumb enough to be like, Oh man, I could do that <laughs> And um and then that's when the hard work comes. Um but I've never been scared to try anything. And um I think you have to have that gene, you know, you have to have that I don't care if I'm gonna fall down or hurt myself, I don't I just wanna figure it out. And uh, I loved film. And something was really driving me towards it. Like after I wrote, like wrote this idea down 14 years ago for a screenplay, I don't know what drove me to keep being like, I want to do this. But something in me was like, you can do this. You can get this movie made. And I was like on a mission. You know, it's almost like the Blues Brothers. Like I'm on a mission from God. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, like, and I just would not stop. And all And I'm going to tell you, it wasn't easy. People were laughing at me. People thought I was silly. People was like, Man, you can't do that. You, you know, then there was a, a whole another handful of people that was like, Man, go do that shit, Dion <laughs> And um I just think I was dumb enough to think I could do it. And look at look at what God does, man, when you really put yourself in position, you know, like when you really put yourself out there, you know, and, and you know, not to get it wrong, but now you're really talking about thirteen years of counting the pavement, working, being told no every day, you know what I mean? And then figuring out a whole other way to get a movie made. You know, the way I got this movie made was not traditional. None of my films, every movie that I've made to date, with the exception of the movie that I was hired to do at Sony recently for the first time, mm-hmm. they are 100% financed by us and made by us. So the legwork to even get a movie made is, is tremendously hard. But then outside of that, to go get a movie sold and put out is even a bigger deal. And, you know, The Intruder is so special for a lot of reasons. The Intruder is special because we financed it, we hired everyone, we shot it, we directed it, we produced it, we set up a licensing distribution deal with Sony, and then it actually got a really great release date and came out
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> and
1: opened, you know, and open... Whatever, number one. Like, yep. that's a beautiful story, man. If somebody I was looking at myself today from 30 years ago, I wouldn't believe that could happen. You know what I mean? I just wanted to get a movie made.
0: Yeah, but you just... and But the, what I love about you, Dion, is each film... You get better with each film that you make, too. You, you're you not stagnated. You get better. I see. I see differences. I see... This may be a little bit better. That may be a little bit better as you go from film to film. And I think that's, yeah. that's very important is that you're not just resting on what you've done because, oh, I made a film. Okay. But you constantly push yourself and you bring in these other voices such as Dante, such as Daniel, uh, you know, to work with you. And so something else, you elevate yeah. your skill set just a little bit more and a little bit more each time. And there are a lot of people that don't want to do that, but you do.
1: No, I really want to be
0: the best. Um, I'm really, I mean,
1: like I told you earlier, I really look at this like sports and uh, I'm really fighting to be one of the best to do it. Like I really want to be good at telling stories and I really want to be special at delivering films to audiences. And, um, No, you don't just settle. You don't just say, oh, yeah, bye, you know. oh that was a pretty good time. I ran the 100 in. I don't need to work on that anymore. Or, you know, I'm strong enough. I don't need to lift weights anymore. It's about constantly working and constantly trying to figure out how do you get better? How do you work with better people? How do you work with with better cinematographers? How do you work with better editors? How do you work with better talent? How do you become better? What do you do differently as a director? You know what I mean?
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: it's interesting, man, because... You know, most recently I was looking at a lot of, like, Hitchcock and, you know, uh, uh, Coen Brothers and, you know, a lot of these people were laughed at, man. Some of their movies, they, they were laughed at. Yep. And they and they became classics. You know, critics critics panned those films. Mm-hmm. And they were garbage and trash and no one would want to see them. And now those those same movies that these critics trashed and... People didn't go see it, didn't, you know, really want to have anything to do with it. They are now the movies that that, that Hollywood are standing on top of. Yep. And um, that comes from taking chances, you know what I mean? And and not being afraid to try different things in cinema. And um, I think I'm just one of those people. You know, when I made the movie Traffic, you should have seen, you know, the response from the critics.
0: Oh, I saw right? the, the response.
1: <laughs> But then what's what's insane about the film is audiences have gobbled that film up. Yeah. Schools have put that film into their curriculum.
0: It's a very important film.
1: It's an important movie. And and, And the movie was nominated for NWACP Best Picture of the Year. It's just, you just can't get locked into what the traditional boxes are. I feel like. You know, part of film is to just keep growing. And that's what I'm praying that I'm doing is not just growing film-wise and learning how to shoot movies better, but also I'm praying that I grow to even be more riskier.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I would be remiss not to ask you about your very important Be Woke. Talk to me about Be Woke. Because you know, I follow, I watch all of your little be woke things. I follow all of that, <laughs> and you just had a, a Webby Award nomination for that.
1: Yes, thank you.
0: So, talk to me about yeah. be woke and what that is, and how people can get involved with that.
1: Yeah. So we created. So I created a um, a online series called Be Woke, and the idea behind the series was to tell young America and old America, people that don't believe that voting counts, to explain to them that voting really does count and it really does matter. And if you want to create change in your world, you have to politically get involved and vote. And what's crazy is a lot of young African American and Latino and minority kids truly believe that if they vote, it doesn't count.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And what we did was we created Be Woke and there are small, um, short form content. They are eight to 12 minute episodes. And they're with today's biggest stars in the world. Today's biggest artists, yeah. today's biggest rappers. And what they're doing is they're just talking about the importance of voting and why they don't vote or why they did vote or why they want to go vote. And, 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 we were able to get Van Jones to host about 12 episodes. We got Roland Martin to host about 12 episodes. Um, and they're just really, really cool. Everybody from Kim Kardashian uh, to Jamie Foxx to Michael Ealy to Hillary Swank to um, Future to, you know, I came all of But, you know, athletes, NBA stars, mm-hmm. NFL stars, everyone came and did one. And um, – yeah, they they've been shared over 75 million times.
0: Wow! Uh,
1: we did it completely free. Uh, we financed the entire venture. Uh, we didn't want anything from it. If you didn't have to have a subscription. We just put them online free. <laughs> and uh, Time Magazine wrote a really art- great article about them. And yeah, so I shot all of those, and Roxanne produced them. Uh, we had uh, my God, Omar Joseph uh, directed about ten episodes. And. Um, we get ready to do another season of them now, but they're fantastic because part of the part of how you create change is by giving people information. See, information is not ready for everybody, so if you can give people information on what they could do to help their environment, it helps their environment. And we're not talking about voting um, for the president. We're talking about you gotta you're in the neighborhood and. The liquor store is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it's violence in front of that liquor store. You need to go to your community leader and get that liquor store closed down.
2: Mm -hmm. Or you
1: need to go to the community leader and tell them you want that liquor store to be closed at 9 o'clock at night. That's voting.
0: Grassroots is very important.
1: That's right. That's right. Voting for who's in city council. Voting who, who does your roads in your market. Voting for... So voting is, is is at a smaller form, but then it grows to a bigger form. So that's what Be woke is. And, you know, we were nominated for Webby, which was, oh, my God, absolutely incredible. We only lost, we were in second place. We lost to Planned Parenthood yeah. um, documentary, which was insanely, in, in, insanely incredible. And uh, But, yeah, thank you so much for letting me talk about it.
0: I mean, I love the Be woke series. I love it. And I voted for you, just so you know that. I voted for you. So.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much. Uh, No, I'm serious. Thank you so much. Thank you, Debbie.
0: I can't wait to see the next series that you do. And I'm sure that once we get into the 2020 political campaigns, I'm sure that you will be doing more associated with that as well. I would hope. Yes. But, of course, you can't do any of this without... An incredible producing partner how important is, is that? the brilliant Roxanne to what you do
1: well I don't really have any I don't really have any words um, for her in terms of like how brilliant she is I mean it's pretty special when you have a young you know affluent female producer who is able to make films like The Intruder for $5 million, um, single-handedly. And you're talking about casting Dennis Quaid, Michael Ealy, Megan Good, getting Daniel Pearl, me, you know what I mean? Like, I mean... You know, getting like the you whole, cranes. The
0: whole shopping cart. Yeah.
1: Crane, yeah, getting a crane, drones, cars, houses. I mean, a lot of people don't truly understand how hard it is to produce a film. When you look at these Marvel movies, there's a hundred producers, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's probably physically, you know, five people that's really on the ground is actually physically producing that film. Yeah. And, um, Roxanne is, is, is one of the best producers in Hollywood period hands down. She truly you know, is. When she produced, when she produced traffic, same exact thing. Uh, Intruder, same thing. You know, fatal, same thing. You know, it's just, it's just, it's a one-two combination. You know, it's me and her have a very delicate balance in terms of she knows exactly what I'm going to need and she knows how to get me those things. But then she also knows how to be like, no, you can't have that. Figure out something else.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be
1: like, oh, okay, If I can't have that. Okay, so okay. I have two cameras today.
0: That see now that's it. She has the last word. She, Roxanne Avnet yes. has the last word. Dion does he not has to
1: have the last word. She <laughs> has to have the last word because it's about money, you know? So, and I think that's what makes us really cool is, and me as a filmmaker is if you tell me I can't have these three things and I'll go figure out a creative way to get them without using the money or
0: what I asked for. Mm-hmm.
1: And, she know, and she knows that.
0: Or you'll figure out a way Sometimes, around it.
1: Yeah, that's what she was she saying. You, you'll figure it out, Dion. Like, just try this or try that. And I'll be like, that, that's cool. I I don't need it. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> and then and then ultimately, I'll go figure it out. You know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. So now, we're almost out of time for the show. Um, As you know, you and I could talk for hours on end. But do you know what theaters you're going to be buying out for The Intruder yet? No, but I will tell you,
1: I'm, I, think, I think I'm think i going to buy out um, the theater in Sacramento, California. I'm going to be buying out the El Grove Theaters, um, the the AMC there, and then I'm going to buy out Studio Movie Grill in Roseville, okay. California. And then I think I'm going to go buy out two theaters um, uh, in L.A. at the, um, uh, like, the Magic John, the Baldwin Hills Theater. Mm-hmm.
0: And, you, and once you do that, you will post it to Instagram and Facebook so that people know where to go. Yes. Cause yes, that's... I'm going to
1: do that. And if, and if you don't go to one of my bought-out theaters, please go support this movie. It means the world to us as independent filmmakers. Buy tickets, sit down, enjoy a 90-minute thriller. Um, and we really, really appreciate you, Debbie, and your fans and your fan base and I just want to like I always tell you, I love you dearly, thank you so much for everything you do.
0: Oh, you know, I'll do anything in the world for you, Dion you you are part of my heart. you are very, very special to thank me Thank you so much and, and same here I want a sequel, okay? I want a I sequel. Want, I want a sequel too I want a se- Dennis wants a sequel. Michael wants I know a sequel <laughs> yeah, we all want a He's sequel. Great. So it's even more important that people go out there and see The Intruder in theaters across the country so that we can show so it. we can show there's a reason to do a sequel. All right, my yes. friend. We are out of time Thank for you the so show. Much,
2: Debbie.
0: An Thank absolute you. joy. So I will email I'll email Hilda and find out about Fatal. Okay, please do. So that uh I can take a look at that. Thank you, Dion, so so much. And I can't wait to see you again soon.
1: Thank you, Debbie, and thank you for the time today. We'll we'll be in touch. I'll reach out to you and let you know how we're doing this week with the movie.
0: Good. All right, I'll talk to you later. Bye bye. Okay. Bye. And that was Director Dion Taylor talking about the intruder in theaters across the country, over twenty two hundred theaters across the country. See it, see it, see it. If for no other reason, see it for Dennis Quaid, who is insanely brilliant and gives the performance of his career. That is all the time we have today. Uh, Next week, we're going to have the filmmakers for... Who do we have next? Next week, we're going to have the filmmakers for a comedy, 79 parts, shot in 16 and 35 millimeter. So this is going to be really interesting talking to the director about that. So... Until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.